Luke Aaron Holmes. I always knew I was in trouble whenever I heard it. I still, I'm a grown man, right? I can take care of myself, but still if I hear somebody say that, right, I still kind of duck and cower, right? I don't know what's coming or what I've done or left out or didn't put up or something or other, right? It's always something you knew when you were, you knew you were in trouble when you were a kid if you heard your mother, your grandmother, father, whoever it was, call you by your whole name, right? You knew, right? You knew that whatever you were doing, you better drop it and get home right then. Or maybe you knew what you'd done and you should just go hide until it blows over, right? Either way. But when we hear, hear our name, I'd, we normally associate that with a good thing. It's somebody who loves us and somebody who cares about us. In the book of Philippians, Paul has been writing to the church at Philippi, and he's been writing, especially in this last chapter, a very personal letter in Philippians chapter 4. We've made it almost all the way through the book. We're down to the last three or four verses. We have this week and two more weeks, and then we'll be done with Philippians. But Paul is writing to them, and then he says something in 4.19 in our in our memory verse for this month, and it stuck with me as I read it. I want you to read with me in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 17. Philippians, that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's in the New Testament. Chapter 4, the, the big number and the little number, 17. He says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you have sent, a, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's thankful for this gift, right? He's writing from prison to this church, and they have sent him a gift, and he says, I'm thankful for this gift, but I want you to know that I'm content in God. I'm content in what God has given me. And even though they've given generously out, out of, their, out, out of the, their own supply, out of what they have, right? Paul says to them in verse 19, one of the more beautiful passages, he says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We talked about this last week, that, that God supplies our needs, that there are pastors even still today who stand up and say, you need to send me money, and you need to send me this, and God will bless you if you give it to me, and you need, and I need this, and I need that, right? But here Paul sits in prison, in prison, shackled and chained up. It's not a glamorous place, and he says, thanks, but I don't need it. Why? Because... He says, verse 19, because my God, he says, shall supply all your needs. Here's Paul, and I, I told you last week, and it's still true as I've been reading through this, this has been one of the more difficult chapters to preach, not because it's, it's a difficult doctrine to understand, but because Paul has such a simple faith that he's not talking about our actions. I can understand actions, do this and don't do that. Paul's talking about our heart. He says, rejoice. He says, he says, if there's anything worthy or honorable or noble or true, think on those things. He says, be anxious for nothing. 
He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in my heart, he says. And now he says in verse 19, he says, and listen to how he puts this. He says, my God shall supply your needs. My God, he says. And this is an expression of or one similar that Paul uses often. He, he, he says this in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse, verse 13. He says so that he says that my in, uh, verse uh, verse three, I'm sorry, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. And he uses that often throughout his epistles. He says, My God, my Lord, my Savior, my. It's it's just a pronoun. It's possessive. It's just a simple word, but man is that little word packed with lots of meaning. Often mine is a toddler's first word. You don't have to teach them, right? They just know to grab something and say mine. I don't know where they learn it, right? My kids did it too, and they've never seen Sarah or me do that. Grab something from each other and yell, that's mine, right? They just know it. It's within them. They, it's, it's, it's just one word, but it's packed with meaning, right? Especially depending on what you're claiming. It's an important word. Would there be a difference if I went to a party somewhere or a function here or here in town and Sarah went, Sarah went with me and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Luke and this is, this is, a, this is a, a wife, Sarah. That's true, isn't it? She is a wife, right? But that might bother her if I didn't introduce her as my wife, right? There's a difference. They're both true. Right, but my wife. It's my. It's 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 packed with meaning. Right. Changing that little word can change everything. My applies attachment, connection that that we but belong to. That it's possession. That it's a responsibility. Even and here comes Paul and he says, "My God." What's that mean? It 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 means that but between Paul and God that there's a relationship. That there's an attachment. My God shall supply all your needs. Paul knows God. And he knows, he knows God. And that's what this tells us. That this is a personal connection. That Paul has an attachment to Him. right? Not that, not that Paul possesses God, but rather that God possesses Him. right? We spend all of our time gaining possessions. Trying to get more and more and, and, and gain possessions. right? I admit to being a, a garage sale addict, if you want to call it that. right? I wouldn't, but... Wherever I go, right, I'm always looking for garage sales. And sometimes I always see some of you there too, right? You know who, who you are, right? In fact, a couple of times I've pulled up to a garage sale and I've seen someone leave ahead of me and I think I might as well go because they already got all the good stuff. A garage sale, but that's different from an estate sale. You go to an estate sale, it's somebody's whole life. Their whole life, everything that they've gathered and accumulated, and they're just trying to give it away. At the end of your life, your kids, whoever it is, will just try to give all your stuff away. They can't get rid of it, of it all your stuff. And even though you might say it's mine, right? <clears throat> Oftentimes we buy things, but those things we buy end up owning us, right? We spend too much time caring for them and worrying about them and trying to protect them and trying to get more and do all these things. And here's Paul and he says, my God. Not that he possesses God, but rather that God possesses him. My God, he says. He says that God is someone who can be known, right? That's what that means. Some people say that God can't be known, so why bother, right? That God is big and 
and all-powerful and all-knowing, and you'll never be able to know Him and understand, so why try? But Paul says, my God. It's intimate. It's personal. He seems to know something for sure when he says, my God shall supply all your needs. It's not an if or a maybe or a shall or, or we're, we're, we're not sure how that's going to happen, but maybe if you play your cards right, he says, my God will supply all your needs. Paul knows that God is a living God, that He's an active God, that He is a powerful God. He knows that He is a God who meets needs. Remember, he's writing because they've given him this gift and Paul says, don't worry because my God will supply your needs. My God, says Paul. The letters of Paul are some of the richest doctrinal letters in all of the New Testament. They make up most of it. They tell us about the person and the work of Jesus, about beautiful doctrines of the faith like justification and sanctification and and, and how we are saved and how we become like Jesus. And they tell us about the character of God and how He works in the world. They're like a textbook for the Christian faith, but if we come to the Bible as a textbook, and that's all we treat that as we're missing out. Because Paul writes not only doctrine, he, he not only writes about the knowledge of God, he writes about his experience as well. He says, my God. In, in this chapter, especially as intensely personal, he says, my God. It's doctrine, but it's also personal. right? Let's think about it this way. A history teacher gives an assignment that he wants his students to learn about the moon landing. right? He can assign textbooks and he can assign them videos to watch and they can research it online and they can read books about it and all of these things. And A student might raise their hand and say, well, I'd like uh, my grandfather knows a lot about it. I'd like him to come in and talk about it. Right? teacher says, no, not now. We don't have time for that. And the student says, but he, he really knows a lot about it, right? He, he, he experienced a lot of it firsthand, right? He says, well, who is your grandfather? Well, well, Neil Armstrong, he says, right? Well, what's better, a textbook, a movie, a video, or hearing about it from someone who experienced it, right? Any teacher knows if you can get that experience in front of them, right? That personal experience, and that's what we have when Paul says, my God. Because in the writings of Paul, we have the doctrine, we have the facts, we have the irreplaceable patches of Scripture that guide us and direct us in our life, but we also have this experience, my God, he says, of Paul, of someone who has lived the fruitful life, and that my God is the perfect blend of, of doctrine and experience. Right? We're not putting experience above doctrine. Right? To, to know about the love of God and not experience it, it's, it's worthless, right? It's like owning an, an empty pool. Well, this is a pool and I have it and you can swim it and, and, you, can, and you can relax in it and it's got a diving board and everything. You'd say, well, where's the water? Oh, well, I don't keep water in it. I just like to have it in the backyard to look at, right? That's worthless, right? That's like knowing all about God but not having that experience with Him personally. But experience without knowledge is like shallow water or that when trials come and temptations come in your life and like they have for Paul, he's been shipwrecked and beaten and tortured. And even as he sits in prison, it's like that shallow water. If you don't have that doctrine, that knowledge of God, when the heat comes on you, it's going to dry it up and it'll go away. right? But that knowledge and experience is like a deep, clear pool of water. right? That it's, 
it's there and you know it will never go away. It might be affected by the trials and the circumstances in your life, but you have that doctrine and that experience. Right? Like that song we just sang. He says, Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son. Thank you, O my Father. Can you sing that with Him as, as He wrote it? And as we sing that together, it is doctrine and it is experience. And many problems in the Christian life concern the way that people try to highlight one or the others of these, of, of doctrine or experience, right? Some people might bury their nose in a book, right? And they have all the head knowledge, but they ignore people around them. For them, the Christian life is purely academic. It's about having all the right answers and having all the right knowledge. But then when they're faced with suffering and with illness and with trials in their life, their, their doctrine is no good because they only know about God. They don't actually know Him. Still others are out doing things. They're feeding the hungry and they're giving shelter and love and grace to all in the name of God. But when you ask what kind of God they believe in, they're not even sure. They just know they want to be out doing those things. They might be like the ones that Jesus said. Many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and, and feed the hunger in Your name? And He says, depart from Me, for I never knew You. You can be doing those things and not know Him. And you could know everything about Him and not know Him. Right? But here's Paul and he says, My God, doctrine matters. Experience matters. And that's why Paul says, My God. Can you talk about God that way? Can you say, My God, My Lord, My Savior. Someone who is both intimate and close to you, but someone who is clearly defined of, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. God. My God. That this is the goal. This is the passion. This is the clarity that we need when we speak about God. Both to our friends and family when we speak in the church and when we speak in the world. Or is God just impersonal to you? Is He just some being out there who set the world in motion, spinning like a basketball and walked away and didn't look, look at it? Here's the thing. God longs for a relationship with you. God cares for you. He calls you personally, each of us, to leave where you are to admit your sin and to confess your need for Him and to follow Christ. All of us are sinners. All of us, the Bible says, have gone astray. We have committed rebellion against God. But still, God calls us. Jesus calls us. He came to earth for us. It's personal. It's intimate. Remember the old hymn? <clears throat> Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals He's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Remember that? Come home, come home. All who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. He gave His life for you, Jesus did. He, he cares for you. He loves for you. Of course He's waiting. Of course, He's longing for us. And even still, some of us, an image of Jesus like that, it just we can't quite define it, but it kind of makes us uncomfortable. Because we've never known anyone in our life who has loved us that way, who has cared about us that way, who has waited for us. Everything we've had, we've had to 
go out and give it ourselves. Maybe you're not sure that love like that even exists in the world. You're not sure what to do with the Jesus who is saying to you, come home. Come home. Come home. Paul knows and he worships and he says it clearly, my God. It's personal. It's intimate. Jesus loves you. Of course He's calling for you. Of course He's waiting for you. Of course He's longing for you because it is a personal relationship. It's not just all in your head. And it's not just all your experience. It's both of those things. And we know who God really is as Paul did. And we know really what He did for us through His Son Jesus. We can't say anything but my God. And that's not even enough to begin to say it. My God. This is personal. This is not for Paul just dry pages in an old book. He says, remember Paul's writing to the church and he says, my God will supply all of your needs. It's my experience, says Paul, that leads me to make this bold commitment. He says, God has come through for me in the past. I have relied on God. I have trusted on God. I've been in difficult circumstances in the past. And it's my experience that leads me to say this, my God will supply all your needs and riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't even know if you're trustworthy. Paul might say, I I like you and I can lean on you and I know you're worth something, but I know that God is the one who will never disappoint. My God, he says, shall supply all your needs and riches in Christ Jesus. It means that Paul knows God by doctrine and experience. It also means that Paul has committed himself to God. My God. My God. Imagine if you went to a wedding and a beautiful bride walks down the aisle. The ceremony begins. Dearly beloved, he says, we've gathered here today and they hear the sermon and they exchange rings and it comes time for the vows and the the woman says hers, for better, for worse, and for richer, poor. And the pastor turns to the husband and says, Repeat after me, and he says, It's okay, she knows I love her. It's okay, we already talked about this, preacher. She's got this, she knows I love her. I told her once. I told her I loved her. I told her I cared about her. Or imagine someone saying that we don't need to tell everyone, that we, we don't need to stand up in front of everyone and confess our love to each other. It's just between us. Right? Paul says that. My God, he says. It means that Paul has committed himself to God. It means that he's not afraid to stand up in front of other people to write to this church at Philippi and say, My God. He's not backing off like that fictional groom was. He's saying, My God. Martin Luther said that religion is a matter of personal pronouns. He says that I can say, My God, and that he says, My child. First John the apostle, uh, the apostle John wrote in 1 John 3 1, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are, he says. See how much God loves us, that he calls us his children, and that he, he is my God, and that we are his children. Romans 8 15 says, You have received the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father. Right? That means like a child would cry out, by which they would cry out, Daddy, Father. Can you say that? Can you say that you know God that way? Can you say Him that you know Him that intimately? Right? Paul says, my God. His experience with, with God has been that God has always come through for him. I challenge you to look in your past, and I don't 
I know in a room this size, right, I know that there are people with difficult, difficult lives and circumstances. But I promise you, if you look and if you're honest, you can see that, that God has always been there for you. Even when things have not gone your way, when you've lost loved ones, when you faced illness yourself, when trials and tribulations and things have always come their way, can you not stand up before us here with Paul this morning and say, my experience with God has led me to say that God will supply all your needs and riches in Christ Jesus. All your needs, not everything you want, not everything you have to have. Right? To say, my God, turns my God into into something personal. But more than that, this relationship with God doesn't just give us warm, fuzzy feelings inside. It tells us that the truth of who God is and the truth of our relationship to Him, it gives us confidence to, to face life and to share with others about Christ. The thing about my God is that when we say my God is that it takes all the space we have in our life for worship. To, to say my God means that God has control over everything in my life. It means that I can't say, my God has control of this part, but then I have control of my career. And I have control of my life. And I have control of my family. And I have control of my happiness. To say my God turns my job into His job. It turns my family into His family. My happiness into His happiness. That my whole life of His. Of course He gets it all because He's my God. How can Paul say, my God will supply all your needs and riches in Christ Jesus. Because he saw God do it time and time again. Because he turned his whole life over to God. Because no matter what happened, Paul says, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to give everything over to Him. I'm going to trust Him in such a way. And he says to them, he says, I thank you for this gift. He says, I'm glad you sent it. He says, but I don't need it. And even though I know, he says, that God blessed you and that and that you gave out of your abundance right he says that my god shall supply all your needs and riches in christ jesus could you stand up and say that to somebody did you know god well enough that you could stand at someone's hospital bedside and tell them that that you could sit with a a family in a funeral home that you could face someone whose whose spouse has left them who've whose children have gone away, whose, whose family that they've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for has not come back around, who, who maybe their spouse is still there, but they're living in a difficult marriage, who are facing illness, who just got that bad news from the doctor. Do you know God in such a way that you could say with Paul, my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. You're able to know Him that way. It's not a secret knowledge that's only for a select few it's for all of us if we're willing to open ourselves up to God and to be known that way are you willing to commit yourself to God to say my God are you desiring of the supreme confidence that Paul has in my God right my God my God he says my God I I just can't get over that that he could even say that and who we understand who this God is, that He is the creator of the universe, that He set all these things in motion. All right, that He says, My Jesus, my Lord and Savior, He says elsewhere that, that this Jesus in whom He says earlier in, Coloss- in Philippians that, that He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He 
laid that aside and he took a humble spirit. He thought of others as higher than himself. My God, he says. My God, I, I know him in such a way. I have this confidence, he says. There, there's no doubt, he says, that he knows his, who his God is. You can have that same confidence that Paul does. You can know. I know when I see my children, I know that they're my children. Not because of the way that they act, right? Although that does help to know that they're mine, right? Not because of, of the way they look, but because I was there when they were born. I know that they're mine. I know that they're mine. God says, my child, and He calls us that, and He knows because He was there when we were born again. We can say, my Father, because He was there when we were born again, because He was a part of that. Paul says, my God. At the time of our spiritual birth, God is there because only in God can you be born again. And you can have that confidence that Paul has to stand up and say, my God. I love this image. I love this simple trust that Paul has in God. And even as we heard that song softly and tenderly, we remember that Jesus is there waiting for us, is calling for us. This means that you can have a chance to have just as much confidence as Paul does. Just as much confidence. Hopefully you won't be shipwrecked, right? Hopefully you won't be beaten or thrown in a Roman jail, right? If you are, call me, right? We'll work. Won't be the first time I've bailed out a church member, right? But no matter what comes in your life, you can say with Paul, my God, my life has not gone the way I've wanted it to. Things have not gone the way that I would have planned it out that I can say without a doubt, my God. Because I know He's mine. Because He was there at my spiritual rebirth when I confessed my sin and I admitted to God my need for Him. Right? And He was there and I know He came into my heart and He filled it up. Right? I can say, my God. If you were here this morning and you can't say that and you don't know that, this is a chance for you to say that if you're here this morning and you've forgotten it. If my God has just become a, a phrase that you and I might say, like you say to people, how, how are you doing today when you don't really want to know how they're doing? When you say, my God, as we memorize that verse, shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, mean it when you say it. When it gets down into your heart that you can Pray for people as, the, as we have prayer requests. As we have people facing trials and tribulations and all these things and, and, and health problems that we can say, my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 20, he says to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, my God. And then he says, our God. Right? My God and our God. What's the difference? Paul knows that he is in one family with these people, these people that he loves dearly in Philippi, in one family, in one spiritual family. You might be here today and you might have my God, but you don't have our God, right? That spiritual family that you need. This church is a place that you can do that. We're not perfect, right? We're not perfect. I, I'll disappoint you. I, prom I promise you that, right? but we can come together and we can worship and say, my God, and we can come together collectively and we can say, our God, our God. That Jesus, there's something about that name. 
Master, Savior. And that He's our God. And that we come together as children of God. That we come together and we worship Him. We'll sing a song at the end of the service for a time of response. And if, if that's you this morning, if any of those are you, if you don't know God in a way, if you cannot say, my God, if you're looking for a church home to belong to, that you can join with us as we say our God. If, you're, if you've just forgot all that God has done for you, come forward this morning and let God speak to your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. I'd, I'd love to pray with you. If you don't want to come forward, I'm always at the back. After the end of the service, catch me when you go out, right? But we can come together this morning and we can say, My God, my God, I pray that you know him in such a way. My God, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me?